Hello, and welcome back to We Work Europe. Today's episode is part two of our take on due diligence. If you haven't listened to part one already, please start there. There has been another horrific incident at a garment factory in Bangladesh. An eight-story building collapsed today, this just months after a fire killed more than 100 people and put the unsafe working conditions at many factories in the global spotlight. It took a long time to make the companies understand what is due diligence, why do we talk about human rights. Even without a law, they can already ask questions, uh, make suggestions to the employer. As trade unions, we we should be concerned. We should uh, show solidarity towards the workers of the whole world. In the previous episode, we talked about working conditions. We told the story of Rana Plaza in Bangladesh, a factory building that collapsed in 2013, killing thousands of people. It turned out that safety precautions were not followed and that the disaster could have been prevented. International textile companies, including European brands, had commissioned clothing to be made there. After the collapse, they promised more responsibility. For the EU Parliament, this was not enough. It demanded a binding law. That was back in 2017. In today's episode... We'll take a look at what has happened since then, what hurdles there are on the way to an EU-wide law, and what role trade unions can play in this. This is... We Work Europe, the podcast of the European Centre for Workers' Questions. Brussels, February 2023, near the Royal Palace. We are at the headquarters of the European Coalition for Corporate Justice, a coalition of nearly 500 civil society organisations from across Europe. Meeting with politicians, writing reports and trying to influence political opinions and political positions, meaning trying to address bad corporate behaviour and uh, making sure that corporations are held to account for human rights and for the environment. This is Anja Verkamp. She is campaign coordinator at the European Coalition for Corporate Justice. Among other things, she is campaigning for a binding supply chain law in the EU. This should ensure that companies and their suppliers respect workers and human rights The campaign is about occupational safety, health, adequate wages and avoiding child labour. There are already blueprints for what such a law could look like. Two EU countries have passed such a law at the national level. One was France in 2017. In the French law, what we have is um, civil liability and judicial enforcement. So that means that it's victims who enforce the law by taking a corporation to court rather than governments enforcing the law by gathering the reporting of companies and looking at what they're actually doing. The second EU country, Germany, introduced a supply chain law at the beginning of this year. Here, it works the other way round. So it is the government that makes sure the law is complied with. 
With regard to suppliers, only companies and their closest suppliers have to comply with the duty of care. So, if the supplier in turn has a subcontractor, the law no longer applies, unless there is a complaint from civil society or trade unions. Anya Fairkamp thinks this law does not go far enough, and nor does it apply to environmental protection. The German law only defines the environmental impacts of a company through international agreements uh, that it has in the annex. So, um, you know, uh, agreements that come out of um, the ILO or the UN or, you know, these kinds of pre-existing laws um, in terms of environmental damage, rather than a more general description of environmental pollution, of soil health, of air, of water, which would encompass more damages, and that's what the French law does. If it were up to Anya Verkamp, a supply chain law would not only include environmental damage incurred during production, but also what eventually happens to the products. This is referred to as downstream of the supply chain. Think of plastic waste, hormones in water, or, if we look at human rights, the use of surveillance systems and weapons. A strong due diligence directive could hold companies accountable for this and save human lives, Anya Verkamp hopes. She refers to what happened in Brumagino. Brumagino is a small town in eastern Brazil. Near the town, the mining company Vale mined iron ore until a few years ago. In the 1970s, the company began to build a gigantic retention basin with a dam to purify the residues. This consisted of several individual dams that reached a total height of 86 metres. In order to continue the mining work, the dam had to be checked for safety. This was last carried out by a German auditor in 2018. Less than a year later, their verdict that it was safe proved to be wrong. On the 25th of January, 2019, just as many miners were eating in the canteen, the dam burst. Some 12 million cubic metres of sludge and toxic heavy metal residues rolled over them in a deadly avalanche. 272 people died that day. An investigation revealed that the dam had not been safe. Also, that the safety inspectors knew about it, but had deemed it to be fine anyway. This was because the company put pressure on the auditors and had threatened to end all business relations with them. They also worked as internal consultants for Vale. They knew it wasn't safe, and they did it anyway, out of wanting to keep their market share in the Brazilian mining sector. And this is the kind of behavior that we need to send a clear signal that you have to actually take steps to look carefully at your operations. And when you don't, you will be taken to court for it. There will be real consequences for you. This is the kind of thing that needs to be prevented. And this is what can be prevented through this law. Today, the soils in the 300-kilometre area surrounding the dam are still contaminated with heavy metal. Contamination in the water can also be detected. People in neighbouring communities complain of diarrhoea, fever and skin rashes. 
Vale has to pay just over 8 billion euros in compensation to relatives and the affected state. The court case against the German auditor is still ongoing. An EU-wide due diligence directive will introduce a minimum set of rules that states must follow and that will become the basis for national laws. This means France could have to adapt its law, if necessary, as would Germany. There is room for stricter rules at the national level, only they must not be softer than the EU directive. Together with other initiatives, the European Coalition for Corporate Justice has therefore been lobbying for a strong law for years. Five years after the first demands of the EU Parliament, proposals for such a law now exist since the beginning of 2023, one from the European Commission and one from the Council of the EU. It's a miracle to have this kind of law, I mean, for it to be on the table at all. Despite the euphoria, there are some passages in the current proposals that Anja Verkamp considers insufficient. This concerns, for example, the scope of application. Not all companies in the EU are subject to due diligence, only those with a certain minimum number of employees and minimum turnover. So, companies with at least 500 employees and a worldwide net annual turnover of 150 million euros. Smaller companies are also affected if they generate more than half of their income through a resource-intensive industry, such as raw material extraction companies, agricultural businesses or textile manufacturers. And companies outside the EU are also to be subject to the law if they generate a certain amount of turnover within the EU. Even though Anja Fairkamp thinks the scope is not sufficient, she can understand that not all companies are subject to the proposed law. It's difficult for small businesses to do this kind of thing, right? My partner has a repair shop. It's difficult for him to look at where the pieces of the phones that he repairs come from in China because he doesn't have the means. He's a small business owner. So the reason that corporations need to do that is because they have so much market power and they have the resources to do so. So they can influence the market because they're big actors. And so they can improve the standards just by changing their operations. Whereas for a small business owner, not only is that difficult to do, but they also wouldn't have that much of an impact if they did it because they're a small player. Anja Verkamp is also disappointed that there are other exceptions. For example, there was a last-minute battle in the council when the EU council just made their position. That was back at the end of November. There was a sort of last-minute protest uh, from France to exclude the finance sector from um, the, the application of this directive. The finance sector applies within what we call a value chain, you know, because they're investors, they're banks, they have a big influence over the way corporate powers behave. And what's more is that it's a sector, it's in the European single market, so it should be involved like other sectors. The drafts also state that the financial sector has to conduct due diligence only once and before the conclusion of a contract. The value chain review is limited only to direct clients of the financial institutions and not to suppliers of various degrees. Finally, and this is the major weakness, 
The Council of the EU proposes that member states should decide for themselves whether or not to include the financial sector in their law. EU Justice Commissioner Didier Reinders said at the presentation of the draft law, only companies that protect human rights and do not harm the environment should be active in the EU. The two drafts will be joined in May by the EU Parliament's proposal. With these three proposals, the Council of the EU, the European Commission and the European Parliament will then enter into a trialogue and agree on a law that will be ready in March next year at the earliest. Until then, nothing is set in stone. Anya Faircamp and her organisation will continue to lobby and fight for a strong EU law. Every week counts until the law is finalised. That's why we have a, um, a public mobilization campaign. We try to get citizens to put pressure on politicians to raise their voices to show that citizens want this to be a strong law that really matters. And they do. Polling results show that European citizens uh, from an overwhelming majority think that corporations should be held accountable. When the Environmental Committee voted, uh, we had 5,000 emails that were sent to representatives in the European Parliament um, to ask them to make sure that there were very strong climate inclusions on this law so that um, corporations can be held accountable for their carbon emissions. And we do currently have now a, quite a good proposal out of the Environmental Committee. According to this, companies will have to identify how their business activities, including the supply chain, affect the environment and take appropriate measures to mitigate or prevent this. Companies with an annual turnover of more than €150 million must set out in a transformation plan how they will contribute to meeting the Paris climate targets. While companies are ultimately responsible for complying with the relevant law, trade unions also have an important role to play, says Manon van Thor of CSC, the largest union confederation in Belgium. As workers' representatives, we have direct access to the management, to the directors of the companies through the social dialogue bodies. So it is really important that we are involved in the whole process of due diligence so that we can ask questions, make uh, suggestions, um, negotiate some measures uh, that the companies can take to tackle some risks that they are um on different parts of the value chains. For instance, with uh, South Asia, it's different. We know, we know that the workers' rights are not the same. Across Europe, CSC is networking to engage with workers from around the world and hear their perspectives. Lisetta Vossman from the NGO Arisa also seeks opinions. For example, from India, where workers have high hopes for such a law. But there are also concerns. What if companies change their mind, still want to employ cheap labour, but perhaps in a country where the risk of human rights violations is lower? At the end, that's also what the guidelines and the directive should include, is that companies are also responsible, that if they pull back, that they do that in a responsible way. So it's called responsible disengagement. So they have to take care of the laborers uh, if they pull away from a factory or a supplier so that they get their salaries. So you cannot just pull out immediately. There are steps to take and there are also guidelines on how to do that. Ensuring that suppliers deliver what they promise is difficult when the company is based in Europe. In this case, 
It will often hire an audit service provider to do this, says Lisetta Fossman. It's very challenging because what you see is that auditors, they go in, announce, sometimes unannounced, but there's a lot of bribing happening in the audit industry. So they will just tell anything that, that they want to hear. And I think the most problematic thing is that they don't talk to laborers outside the workplace. So laborers are interviewed in the factory, sometimes in the presence of management. Imagine being a girl of 17 year old coming from a place far away, you don't speak the language and an external person, a male, for example, is coming to you to ask you about how much you earn or if there are any issues the chance is high that this girl will not tell the truth because she doesn't dare to do it. The Brumagino case has shown that audits in themselves are no guarantee of due diligence. Ultimately, it will depend on how strict this EU-wide directive will be and whether member states will face up to their responsibility and not create regulations that can be undermined. With laws in France and Germany, this process has started to take shape, but there is still room for improvement when we are talking about real responsibility. Manon van Thor of CSC comments, It's a step in the right direction, but we should make sure that the most important thing is achieved, which means if we have a directive that only covers 1% of the companies, which is the case uh, currently with the Commission's proposal, it clearly won't be enough to uh, to make sure that the human rights are respected by the businesses' activities. Lobbying on the corporate side is strong, but pressure from NGOs, trade unions and EU citizens is growing. Until the Council of the EU, the EU Commission and the EU Parliament agree on a law, however long it takes, Manon van Thor Anja Fairkamp and Lisetta Vossman will keep on campaigning for a strict supply chain law. This was our two-part episode about due diligence. In the next episode, we will get insights on the monetary policy of the European Central Bank. Is it stopping inflation? And what is the price workers have to pay for that? If you like We Work Europe, do give us a five-star rating and don't forget to subscribe. Also, if you have any interesting topics or feedback for us, just contact isa at isa.org. We Work Europe is the podcast from ESA, the European Centre for Workers' Questions, which receives financial support from the European Union. This podcast was narrated by me, Rebecca Sharp. Script and production by Escucha, Audio Identity.